Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Lieutenant Colonel Jay Morse. Jay retired from the Army in September of 2015 after slightly over 22 years of service. So, Jay, welcome to the podcast. Tom, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, Jay, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, we'll get into what you're doing and, and talk about your perspectives on transitioning. Sure. Well, I joined the Army in 1993 after doing ROTC at Colorado College. I was actually an aviator for about five years. I wanted to go to law school. I grew up observing the effects of debt. And so I recognized early on that I wanted to go to school, but I didn't, I wanted to have as little debt as possible. So I actually knew about the Army's funded legal education program when I went into the Army after college. So I did ROTC, was an aviator for about five years, then went to law school, showed back up in the JAG Corps on September 11th, 2001, and then retired in 2015. You've done a couple of different things since you're leaving. Take us through the mindset of getting through the transition process in your case. Yeah. Part of it, I think all those changes you see, part of them, I think it's been difficult to shake the move every two years and uh, get a new job every two years. I think that becomes, maybe we self-select a little bit into the service and we like having those changes. I continue to like having those changes. I will tell you, it's been sort of hard fought and maybe hard one as well. We're still figuring that out. But I left in 2015, basically retired, but under adverse circumstances. I'd been the, the chief of the trial counsel assistance program at the time, and I'd been accused of an assault three years prior. I don't want to spend time talking about that, although I'm happy to. What I did want to talk about is this idea of leaving a structure like the United States Army after so many years. And even if thinking that you're sort of a, a non-structural person, thinking that you're kind of a free thinker or not a company man, all of a sudden realizing that whatever circumstance you leave the military, you have all this support structure one day and then the very next, you're kind of out there on your own. And so for me, it was, I was not necessarily prepared to leave. And I think leaving under adverse circumstances really, in some ways it was a blessing because I think it really caused me to reassess those things that you thought you believed in, make sure the things that you still believe in are, are still there and still valid almost kind of doing a pressure test of the way you live your life. And so I took a couple of months after the army, really just to get away. And when I was there, I got a call from an organization called Center for Civilians in Conflict. I'd spent most of my military career either in criminal law, so as a defense counsel, a prosecutor, staff judge advocate, at trial counsel assistance program, or in leadership position. And both of those things were gone instantly. And so this call that I got from the Center for Civilians in Conflict was an opportunity for me to do something that was different, almost kind of a restart. It was, in a sense, like stability operations, uh, what we call now institutional capacity building. The whole goal of that organization, and it's a fantastic organization. It's grown a bunch. I, I only planned to stay there a year. I ended up staying two because I thought it was an organization that really was doing great things and had a, a focus. Their focus was basically making militaries a little bit better. So trying to get them to cause less harm to civilians during conflict. They hired me as a senior legal advisor, and I was able to do 
in some ways able to have greater impact in just two short years than I did in, you know, 15 years in the, in the JAG Corps. I'd gone to Iraq four times. I went to Ukraine four times, to Nigeria four times, all those times in conflict zones where you're actually directly working with soldiers on the ground. So unintentionally, what I found was I looked at it initially as a lifeline. What I found when I got there was that it, in some ways it did turn out to be a lifeline. It presented me this opportunity to really, to lead, to help other people understand that there were better ways to do things, that the rule of law was important and that there were ways to get there. So it really provided me a, a transition where you were able to lose the structure that you had when you were on active duty, again, in whatever circumstance, and that structure is there one day and then it's gone the next. But then also to figure out, sort of distill which things were important to you while you were on active duty, really what was important, what you felt gave you meaning, and figure out ways to apply that in a post-military world. Jay, we talked before we came on the air here, and we talked about this podcast. I reach out, I talk to everybody that I can to help selfishly myself and to provide a service to others who are going to believe in the core. And not knowing anything about you other than seeing your name, I don't do research on guests. And you were very, very upfront with me about the way you left the service and that it's publicly out there. People can go out there and make up their own minds. This is not the forum to be able to look into that and not appropriate to dissect things here. It's important to your story, but to me, it's not germane in the sense that it's not my role to relitigate it. But why I wanted to talk to you and decided to press ahead with this is because leaving the service is hard enough, even when you have the ceremony, you have a band. But when you leave the service dealing with adversity, it's just that much more on top. And I still think that whether people agree with Jay Morse or against Jay Morse, there's a lesson to be learned from your story. So let's talk about dealing with adversity and getting through. Yeah, uh, You shared with me the loss of control, the yeah. loss of the facade of control. Most military folks are type A personalities. And all of a sudden you're in a situation where you do not control or think you control the end result. Yeah. And thank you again for, again, for, as we talked before, like I didn't want this to be a forum for dispute. I wanted this to be a forum to share my experiences. Maybe somebody can learn something from it and, and maybe it helps somebody either dealing with adversity themselves or them working with someone else who's going through some adversity in a life transition. So the, the first part is this loss of control. I mean, I, I grew up sort of at or below the poverty line, you know, no dad really around. I felt like I matured early on and I felt like even as a young person, I felt like I was in control of everything. Um, almost that you could shape your own destiny or at least shape how I felt or how I responded to certain things. You almost create an origin story and you start believing the things that you tell yourself. And I think, at least for me, in hindsight, it gave me some false confidence, I suppose. And so then you have this other thing happens and you feel like it's real adversity. And so you start questioning the way you respond to that. Really, the only thing that I in this sort of stretch of time, and it's lasted several years, but in the initial that stretch of time, the thing I told myself was, even though I felt out of control, and even though I felt that I was not handling it well, the one thing I did tell myself is every decision I make, make sure this is something that I'm proud of a year from now, or five years from now, or 10 years from now. And so in some way, though I felt like I had lost all control, I did create a mental model, or I created a paradigm through which I would make all these decisions. In hindsight, again, I think it did sort of give me a foundation that I was able to stick to. 
So the first, my first thought is this, is, is whatever adversity you're going through and people lean on different, uh, they lean on, on religion, they lean on family, they lean on principles, whatever it might be. I just think it's find something, right? Find some sort of structure that you can put your faith into. Mine was that, okay, I'm going to put my faith in and knowing that I have this one question for every decision that I think I have to make. I have this one question. Am I going to be proud of this a year from now? That allowed me to think back to what type of person I thought I was and to make decisions sort of accordingly. So that's the first one. Quick editing note here. Jay had begun his second thought, but he was house sitting dogs and he had to let these dogs out. And so we picked up after he had returned to his seat. So uh, you were saying, you know, find that one thing for you. The one thing was to be able to look back on it and not have regret. Yeah, it was helpful. It was very helpful. The other thing I learned a little bit later, and so, so I went to work for Center for Civilians in Conflict. I knew that though it provided me a transition, it provided me meaning for sure. Um, it allowed me the opportunity to sort of take some control back. I still found that I wasn't happy. And happy in the sense that, that before all this, I woke up almost every morning thinking that, that I was in control of the day. Not a sort of Pollyannish, you know, Joel... Austin positive reinforcement message. Like I genuinely woke up every day thinking that I'm going to make the world a better place around me. And I hadn't felt that since then. And so I'm into my second year with this nonprofit. They already know that I'm, I'm just going to give them the second year and with about six months to go. I decided I was going to put effort behind my own company, like I, whatever that looked like. And so I took about four hours. I, I rented a room office space where three of the four walls were dry erase. And I told myself, don't question anything that I think, just put everything up on this board. And so I spent about four hours and I almost covered all three of these boards with everything that came to mind. And this was, what type of work do I want to do? Where do I want to live? What type of money do I want to make? Who do I want to work with? Sometimes it was theoretical. Sometimes it was very specific. I grew up in Northern Nevada. And so when I thought, where do I want to live? I wrote high desert mountains. And then I asked myself, which mountains? And I literally wrote down the mountain ranges that I thought I wanted to, to live in. At the end of that, what I found was that I really turned this into to three, three things. One was that I'll do anything with people I love, people I respect and admire. I will do anything, anytime with those people. The second thing was that if I can't have that number one, number two is I will do things that I think give me meaning and make the, make the world around me a better place. That could be one person, that could be leadership coaching or mentoring, that could be a whole other country. And I know that sounds ridiculous to think that I could make another country better, but that's sort of how the filter that I, that I used, that's how I interpreted that number two. And number three is if I can't do one or two, then I'll do things for way more money than I would otherwise do it, and for very short periods of time. And I've used that filter, that, I did that sort of mental mapping in 2000 and, 17. And I've used it multiple times since then. I continue to go to it. And it's allowed me to do a lot of things that I never other would have, would have thought about otherwise. But it's also allowed me to make sure that I still have sort of joy and purpose in my life. So the senior for set of civilians in conflict, that was that immediate purpose and a drive to get out of yeah. bed every morning to do something. And you, you went through a two-year transition period with them, as you stated. Right. And, and now you have your own gig. Yeah. So my company is called Faro International. Faro is a Spanish word for lighthouse. Very purposeful and intentional. And again, a little bit ridiculous, but this idea that, that I can, you know, 
provide light. Like I can show people the way. Um, at least what I believe is is the way, whether that's people or companies. So the idea was that this would be something for which I could do anything I wanted. So since then, I've done I've done leadership coaching and training. I was the uh, director of research for a gentleman who was considering running for president. I've done uh, market surveys. I've certainly practiced law. So that's been either um, either in defense or in consulting for, for prosecutions. And really what I do now is I work with other companies, mostly to help other countries. So for instance, right now, a lot of my work has been in both Jordan and Lebanon. And that's in helping as a subcontractor to a company called Booz Allen Hamilton, helping them to help some of these other countries improve their judge advocate general's core. So it's a lot of the same it's a lot of the same principles, helping people to understand the law and the rule of law, but also leadership as well, like why this is even important, right? It's not important just because we say it's important. It's important because it's something that gives people structure, hopefully justice, hopefully a model that takes out the interpretations of humans and instead relies on the law. So you've been at this for almost five years. Yeah. So you yeah. obviously have enough work at least to keep you busy. Yeah. This is another thing I would share. If I could go back to first, I'm single. I have little debt. I don't have kids that I have to put through college. So I always, anytime someone offers you advice, try, try and get a good idea of uh, the background behind that advice. I recognize that I am probably in a position where I have fewer financial obligations than other people who are deciding whether or not they're going to retire. I, I recognize the importance of, of uh, taking care of, of families. What I would say is put yourself in a position to, uh, can I, I don't want to swear on this. So I'm just going to be momentarily crass. I heard recently, probably five years ago or so, this idea of having FU money, like the ability to have so much money that you can tell other people where to go. I've interpreted that for myself as having not the ability to say that to other people. I'm sorry, not the, the desire to say that to other people, but I've created a life where I have the ability to not take a job just because of money, or I have the ability to not go out and decide that I need to make a certain amount of money per year. I've tried to create an environment where I can live well, but live well pretty, live the life that I want to live. I just moved to Northern New Mexico at the base of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Um, I can mountain bike and fly fish and hike, do the things I want to do. And I'm still close to, still close to the people I, I love. I haven't entered the Fortune 500, but being able to do this has provided me income that allows me to live that life that I want to live. That's what I would tell go back and tell every 03 or 04 who's coming to the JAG Corps, start thinking now about the type of life you want to live. Um, not how much money you need, the type of life you want to live, and then figure out how much money you need to, to sustain that lifestyle. So your story of resilience, you get up every morning, you know the sun's going to rise and you get up and you need it every day. Yeah, that has been probably the most significant paradigm shift in, I think, when I felt like I was at my best on active duty and when I feel like I'm at my best now. And I think when I was on active duty and you had that structure and you had the responsibility, this idea of taking care of others was something I wholeheartedly believed in and believe in still. But when you have that structure around you that says you believe in this, but also you have to do it, you have an office relying on you. The way I woke up every day was um, I know what I'm doing today. I know what I have to do today. I know how I'm going to do it today. And I know that whatever adversity I might find in this day, I can control it. Again, whether I can control that adversity or whether I can control how I respond to it. I think the way I do that now is I wake up every day, as you said, the sun shines and I have a cup of coffee 
And my mindset instead is let's see what the day brings and I'm going to do the best I can with it. It's been a shift that has taken a while. I think in other people I've talked to, friends who also have left the military, I think we all deal with this. Maybe in some way, the folks who left as a, you know, Friday as a 05 in the Pentagon and they show up Monday as a Mr. or Mrs. in the exact same job, maybe they don't quite go through it the same way. But again, my experience, the people I've talked to and colleagues and friends, it's, it's a pretty dramatic shift going from that mental model, that mindset of how you approach every day when you're on active duty to now you're in charge of yourself. And this other idea that nobody really cares about what you did Friday, today's Monday, and, and you got to figure something else out. As you've gone through your experience, have you had a network that was out there to support you as far as figuring out what the afterlife, I always call it the afterlife, you know, we all, we all pass over to the next life. In your situation, did you find that people were willing to answer your emails and phone calls where there's people reaching out to you to help you get across that bridge and, and get through the adversity? Yeah. The first is, is, was, again, it was not one that was looked for. That was a woman named Marla Keenan, who was at the Center for Civilians in Conflict. The phone call I had with her while I was standing at a gas station outside Bogota, Colombia, was one where she said, I talked a little bit about my experience in the army. And she said, got it, checked into it. We need you here at Civic. And so now all of a sudden I had the support structure of people who, you know, interestingly were like-minded. They were, nobody was anti-military in that organization, but their whole goal was to change military's behavior. So you go from this sort of core belief of someone who's in the military to a core belief of a nonprofit organization. And there were so many commonalities there that I was able to find that support structure pretty quickly. A woman named Marla, a gentleman named Dan, a few other folks who really were able to sort of give that structure of here's how you work in the, the nonprofit world, the NGO world. I did some of the things. There are, there are some business incubators, Capital Post, what was called Capital Post. I think now they switched over to Bunker Labs in Washington, D.C. There were folks there who were provided some structure. There's so many veterans organizations out there that will help you to understand how to build a business, how to use the language, right? In the legal world, we talk about terms of art. There are a lot of terms of art in the business world that you just don't know about. Those types of organizations, I think, are valuable to help you translate, basically. So, so you, you have this idea of, of what you can do, what you did in the military. That doesn't always translate directly to what you can do as a civilian. So having people to help you be able to understand how to talk about yourself, how to talk about the things you did. That was important. There weren't a lot of people that had gone the same route that I wanted to go, right? I did not want to go work for a law firm. I did not want to go work for the government. I just really wanted to dive in. That's, that's why I say, and figure out things on myself. I think that's, that's part of the reason I would tell, you know, that mid-grade officer, figure out what makes you happy right now. Like really, really spend some time and identify what makes you happy what gives you meaning and purpose that'll help you to figure out other things that you need in your life to support whatever that is. That's, yeah. that's, uh, that's probably the most important thing. Yeah. You know, that was something that my very first interview, Aaron Stone drove home. She said, you know, she was going to go be a director of something because that mm -hmm. was the way she was wired. And yeah. when she was challenged on it on a retreat, she really realized that there was nearly no passion there. It was, she just, what brought her happiness was, helping her client, whether it was a defense client or a commander achieve their objective and as an SJA and advising. But back to the civic issue, did you yeah. find when 
looking at, for example, international humanitarian law, law of armed conflict, as we like to call it, were you able to to flip on that perspective in a sense of, you know, for example, is it legal in the SJ hat? Well, does the military objective outweigh, you know, the collateral yeah. issues that, and then, you know, on the civic side, you're looking at, okay, we understand you can make that decision, but on the other side, you're still going to have suffering. And that's what we're trying to minimize, even though you might be able to find it valid when you were wearing that military uniform. Yeah. I think as lawyers, we are hopefully we're all trained to communicate, right? So it's one thing to be able to say, this is what the law says. Your goal really is let me communicate the law effectively so that the person I'm talking to, I'm talking to understands how to make a decision or how to change their behavior. And I would use that a lot, both, I would try to use that both working with my colleagues at Civic and in helping them to how they spoke with militaries. Um, I was the only person, I was the first person in that organization that had any military experience, to my knowledge. I also found that when I was in international meetings, I would frequently be the only person in these other meetings of nonprofits and non-governmental organizations who had any military experience. So helping them with this idea of communication. You know, maybe one of the great ironies is that a lot of people think when you're in the military, you just give an order and it happens. You're like, well, no, you have to be an effective communicator. At some point, you have to ensure that people believe in you and believe in what you're telling them to do in order for them to do it and to do it effectively. So being able to turn that sort of idea of, of you know, balancing necessity and civilian harm, being able to talk to the nonprofits I worked with and really the foreign militaries I worked with of what are you trying to achieve here? What's the goal you're trying to achieve? But this thing that you're doing, if you're causing harm to civilians, legally or illegally, are you hurting your chances to achieve whatever this ultimate objective is? And that, that to me was the most effective way to deal with some of our partners. I also think that's just an effective way to deal with life, right? Figure out, figure out what you're trying to do and make sure the things that you're doing are, are in support of that goal. I tell my nieces and nephews in particular, but others as well, it's like the headlights, like the headlight icon on a Google map. If I'm trying to get from San Francisco to New York and I extend sort of the parameters of that light or that range fan, there's a lot of directions I can go when I'm leaving San Francisco. As long as I'm generally going east, I'm going to get there. But the closer I get, the less room for error there is. And the more that, that the decisions I make have to have some sort of, of direction I look at it the same. If this is something I'm trying to achieve 10 years from now, if I'm trying to get to a position, a change of behavior that's generational, then there's a lot of different ways I can get there. If I'm trying to change a behavior right now or next week, then that also impacts how I give advice, how urgent, right? How, how much you're willing to, to walk that person to the decision versus how much you're willing to just say, this is how you need to do it. Those are things I think that I used I hope I used effectively when I was at Civic and also have continued to use use now for the last couple of years. Let's go a few more minutes. I mean, I, I want to give you the platform uh, of any other insights or, or thoughts that you have that you want to share with the audience. Take us where you want. This is Jay's Corner. I mean, one of the things I do want to, I guess, emphasize, it, again, it's this, it's this point of, of, of like happiness or contentment or meaning or whatever it might be. I think we've all experienced, I suspect we all experienced that the older we get, our circles tend to get a little bit smaller. At least my experience has been when you're in sort of the second half of your life, and that's whether your age 
or it's your, your profession, right? The second half of your professional life when the first half has been the military and now you have that second half. You really have this opportunity to decide what it is that is important to you and what gives you meaning. If that's even what you're after. There, I know plenty of people who don't really care about finding meaning. I, I suspect that's not the experience of the people that, you know, of you and I and the people that we've spent 20 years with on an active duty. You learn that is something that's a driver in how you live your life. I think that, that being able to really sort of ask yourself those important questions. Why am I doing this? What is this getting me? Is this something I want to continue to do? I think as you're transitioning out of the military, like take time and figure those things out. I don't think you have to worry about, don't worry that the, this first job you're going to take is the job that I'm going to have for the next 20 years of my life. Also, don't worry about if, hey, I think I'm just going to keep this job for a year. Companies come and go. The company's going to drive on whether you're there or not. Like really spend some, I think spend some time. Look, you are, you are the protagonist. You are the star of your own show. And it's not selfish to spend a little bit of time and think about thinking about what do I want to do to make sure that I'm happy and I can continue to find meaning and purpose for the next, the second half of my life, whatever it is. Because ultimately, as long as if you're happy, then you're going to make the people around you happy. And if you're not happy, the people around you are going to see that and they're going to be unhappy too. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Jay, thanks for your time. I know that this, there's, we could have gone on probably for another half hour, but I try to keep these in bite sizes for people. And uh, like I said, every story is different. Every story matters. And I think there's, there's people out there that can learn and take some nuggets from what you have had to offer today. So I appreciate your willingness to come on and, and open up to the audience about your transition. Tom, I'm super grateful for your time. I'm on LinkedIn. I write a lot of a website called Three Saints Road. Anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to, to talk about my experience and, and sort of share some of my own lessons um, anytime. So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And thank, thank you for doing what you're doing. I think these are, I think helping us all transition from the military to the civilian world is, is uh, important. Thanks, Jay. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the JAG Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production. 